Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. It is Tuesday, November 7th, 2017. I am Ann Picker, Day's Chief Economist, and with me today is our man in London, Jeremy Hawkins. So, Jeremy, brief us on what the Bank of England really did. Yes, it's quite an interesting one, really. As I'm sure folks have seen, we saw the first tightening of UK monetary policy in more than a decade last Thursday, with the bank's benchmark interest rate, the bank rate, going up 25 basis points to 0.5%. That was as generally expected, but certainly not universally so, as there's still a lot of people who think that the UK economy is slowing to the extent now that the tightening wasn't justified in the first place. Now, as I mentioned, that's the first hike we've had in interest rates in more than 10 years. But for financial markets, um, probably at least as important, it could be the last for quite a while too. So one of the most important aspects of this, you know, looking through the, the new quarterly inflation report that the bank issued alongside its interest rate announcement. Within that, they're assuming that um, we're going to get a bank rate of only 1% in three years' time. So in other words, we're only, what, half a percentage point away from where they think their official benchmark rate will be by the time we get towards the tail end of 2020. So I think it's no great surprise that we saw the pound coming off on the back of that. It may be the case that interest rates have gone up a little bit, but the worrying aspect for financial markets is that they're not going to go up that much further, at least if you believe the, the Bank of England's latest forecasts. So I think a bit like we saw with um, the ECB a couple of weeks or so ago, yeah, looking ahead, it's still kind of a, a very soft outlook in terms of interest rates and interest rate expectations for both continental Europe and the UK at the moment. And that continues to be, I suppose, just a reflection of the uncertainty surrounding the economic outlook in general. Also, I should mention, I think, as we, we touched upon last week in terms of quantitative easing for the Bank of England, bear in mind that they're still kind of operating with this view that we're not going to see any move on quantitative easing until we see official interest rates uh, close to the 2% mark. Well, if you believe what the, the, the forward curve is saying at the moment, we're not going to be even close to that level in five years' time. So, you know, strictly taken, it suggests that the quantitative easing on the Bank of England's balance sheet at the moment is going to be there for another five years or so at least. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how BOE policy um, develops from here. But I think you know, the easy call at this stage is to say that the next move on interest rates for the UK, if indeed it is going to be up, is still some way away. Um, wouldn't, it, yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't that, though, you know, when you talk about a five-year timeline, so much can happen in five years. Oh, yeah. I couldn't and, and of course, you have the Brexit unknowns. <laughs> It is. And it's got to be said, I mean, I, we say we saw interest rates going up in the UK next week, but it is significant, I think. And we look at, you know, it was a split vote again. And we have two members of the bank's monetary policy committee. I mean, indeed, the two deputy governors both deciding, well, at this stage, Brexit, as you mentioned, is still huge uncertainty facing the UK economy. And crucially, you know, when we look at wages growth over here, it's simply going nowhere. Wages have been growing at roughly the same sort of rate, sort of close to the 2% mark um, for the last, what, two to three years or so. So there's no real evidence from the labour market to suggest that domestically generated inflationary pressures are on the up. So I think it's you know it's quite fair for those people to assume, well, look, nothing has really happened since, what, the, the release of the last bank quarterly inflation report to justify the interest rate hike. In fact, I go so far to say, if you look at the latest forecast figures in the bank's new, in the bank's new projections, they actually show inflation a little bit lower at the tail end 
than they did last time round. So if they didn't tighten last time, why should they why should they tighten last week? Thank you, Jeremy. Moving on to the people movers, namely the people at the Federal Reserve seem to be in flux. Uh, yesterday, Monday, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York said that its president, William Dudley, intends to retire in the middle of 2018 to ensure that a successor is in place well before the end of his term, which would have been January 2019. Dudley will have served a 10-year term by January 2019, which is the maximum allowed. The New York Fed has already launched a search for its next president, and its aim is to install a successor by mid-2018. Bank presidents, importantly, are chosen by local boards within the district and are subject to approval only by the Board of Governors in Washington. Although the New York Fed is only one of 12, it has a very special status within the Federal Reserve itself. It is a permanent member of the FOMC and serves as an important link to the financial community. It's responsible for the execution of Fed monetary policy. The New York Fed president is the vice president of the FOMC, the policy-making committee of the Fed. The bank is unique. It has a permanent vote on all policy settings on the FOMC, and it serves as its permanent vice chair. It often liaisons with international counterparts as well. Other district presidents vote on a rotating basis for one-year terms so that, indeed, the New York Fed is a bank that is not an equal among equals. It, the, 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 Mr. Dudley's retirement before he reaches the term year limit is at a time with significant change within the Fed. Just last week, the president announced plans to nominate Jerome Powell to replace Ms. Yellen as Fed chief. Uh, he is already a member of the Fed board so, and has voted consistently with Ms. Yellen, so it implies that there will be little policy change. On the other side of the globe... The Reserve Bank of Australia kept its policy rate at 1.5%, where it's been since August 2016. The RBA pointed to improving global conditions, but warned of medium-term risks to the Chinese growth outlook. Domestically, little has changed, with economic growth expected to pick up from its current level of 1.8% on the year to an average about 3% over the next few years. Ongoing improvements in the labor market are expected to push up wage growth eventually, though officials remain concerned that high household debt will 
restrain consumer spending. What's also interesting is this wage issue, which is, of course, prominent in the U.S. and in the U.K., seems to be a worldwide phenomenon and needs to be closely watched. Uh, The RBA is also fretting about inflation, which sounds awfully familiar, despite random current price increases. It still continues to forecast that inflation will pick up only gradually and again warned that the recent appreciation of the Australian dollar, its currency, could further dampen price pressures. That's it for me. Sorry, before you disappear, can I just quickly go back to the Fed? Certainly. Uh, So a general question, really. Now, as I recall, we lost what? Vice Vice Chairman Stanley Fisher back in, what, September. There's no second term for Janet Yellen. And aren't there a number of sort of gaps actually on the board at the moment? So my sort of question to you is, one, is is the Fed in danger of losing its rudder? And does you know the, the, the current composition, prospective composition of the FOMC make next year's regional rotate, you know, regional presidential rotation even more important for the outlook for monetary policy than usual? Well, it depends how soon the other vacant slots are filled. Uh, Janet Yellen, although her term as chair expires in February, she is still a member of the board. Her term as a member of the board extends several years out after that. So traditionally, the chair has always resigned from the board. But if it's a strategic policy issue, it could be that she might stay for some time, which would create some sort of a balance. The other thing is the participation of the district bank presidents. They're not going anywhere. And they carry significant ballast in terms of the votes on policy. Do we know what the regional sort of the, the pre, regional presidents are going to consist of next year with a view to, you know, are they like to be more hawkish or more dovish? Uh, or? I can tell you that, but I don't have it, have it in front of me. Okay. But um, again, the New York Fed always stays and tradition has it that he's always, it's always voted with the chair. It should also be noted, and people perhaps don't realize this, that it's the banks that rotate. Who is occupying the chair as president of that particular bank doesn't affect the rotation whatsoever. Okay. Thank you. Speak to you again.